The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. A pair of bizarre incidents in the United Kingdom may point to something sinister going on. And then we travel to Puerto Rico to meet a man named Amori Rivera who not only claims he was abducted by aliens, but has photographic proof of the military coming to save him. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. Hope you guys are having a great day too. We got a lot of stuff to cover, so we're going to jump right into it. First off, this time I'm going to give the keys... To someone who supported the Patreon for a long time, a lot of times I give the keys to a new listener, but let's give a shout out to the people who have continued to support the Patreon all this time. So, Contillions, here you go. You're our first classic Patreon listener, person, supporter, I guess is the term. I'm throwing you those Carpenter Copter keys, flying through the air, you grab them, ding! Contillions, you are going to take us up, up and away to Bolton. Now, we've talked about this a lot. I don't really know how stuff works in pretty much anywhere outside the United States. And to be honest, I barely know how stuff works here. But so in England, or the United Kingdom is the technical term, there is a play. There's like the county or the shire of Bolton, which is where we're going. And then there's also next to it a place called Manchester, which we'll get there in a second. So... Anyways, we're going to... First off, we're going to go to Little Holton. <laughs> Cantillians is flying the helicopter. He's like, dude, just say where we're going. We're hovering. We're swaying back and forth. He's like, I know how this works, Jason. You can at least know some basic geography, whatever. So land the helicopter in Little Holton. Now, both of these stories, I completely stumbled across. Nobody's made this connection yet. At all. Super weird. February 22nd, the Bolton News has an article, just a little weird article in their newspaper. No follow-up yet. It doesn't say the date that it happened, but the article was published on February 22nd. In Little Holton, in Manchester, police officers get a call. 999, what's your emergency? Uh, there's a car abandoned in the middle of the road. Okay, let's go out there. Woo, 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 cops pull up and they see a car, broad daylight, like mid-morning. Woo, 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 car is sitting there in the middle of the road. Cops get out and they're like, what's all this then? Walk up to it, completely locked. All doors locked, windows rolled up, looking in there, there's no one around. This, what? Shh, hey, uh, British cops, shh, yeah, we got a report of another uh, car dropped off in the middle of the roadway. What? Go out, other part of Little Holton. There's a car just sitting in the middle of the road, completely abandoned. What's all this then? Shh, uh, British police, we have a report. They got, within one day, four reports of four abandoned cars. Two of them were blocking the road, right? Two of them were half on the road, half on the sidewalk. 
There was no damage to any of the cars. All the cars were locked up. There was nobody around. Dun, dun, dun. And you're like, Jason, that's true. Okay, he, th- that's the first part of it, right? Now, you think these cars obviously have license plates. The police can get in. I mean, I could break in a car like that. But anyway, so you figure, well, the police would just look up the... They must know who those cars belong to by now. That article was published on the 22nd. The story probably took place on the 21st or the 20th. It's been six days since. But there's no follow-up to it. It's such a small story, right? Four cars... I don't think it's a small story. I think it's quite creepy. But four cars found completely abandoned in the city of Little Holton. So... That happened on February 22nd. On February 23rd, there's another article in the Bolton News. Now we're going to Rivington in Bolton. So we're leaving Little Holton. We're going to Rivington. It's 10 miles away. So what is that, like 30 centimeters? It's a 27-minute drive from Little Holton to Rivington. And there's a woman, a young woman named Jane Tolan. She's the manager, sorry, general manager, I'm sure there's a distinction, of the Village Green Tea Room. And now she's walking around Rivington. My car, I got locked out of my car in Little Holton. So now I had to walk all the way here. I had to walk 30 centimeters. Now I'm in Rivington. No, she lives in Rivington. She works in Rivington. She's walking around Rivington. And she stops dead in her tracks. And she's staring at this sign. What? What in the world? Now, the sign is for the Village Green Tea Room. It's a sign that was put up three years ago. Cost a thousand pounds. And it's basically Village Tea Room, and then the direction that you want to go in to go to the tea room. It's an advertisement, right? With a helpful arrow pointing which way to find the tea room. Now, Jane Tolan knows this sign by heart. She's seen it a hundred times. Gold lettering, beautiful gold lettering. It's a green sign with an arrow pointing down the main road. So people driving down the road, they see, oh, I want tea. I haven't had tea in five minutes because this is Britain. Let's go to the Village Green Tea Room. So they follow the arrow. But now she's standing there looking at this sign. It's white lettering. It's no longer gold. And the arrow no longer points down the road. The arrow points towards the local church chapel, where there's a footpath that takes you to the tea room. And so Jane goes to the church. She goes, did you guys change my sign? And they go, no, we thought you changed it. She's like, this has to have been done recent. And they go... We remember since a little bit before Christmas, the sign was white, but we assumed that you had changed it. Because, see, for people taking the footpath, it's much safer for them to walk through the church to get to the tea room. Before, the arrow was kind of pointing them so they'd have to cross a a relatively busy street. But she goes, the sign wasn't intended necessarily for walkers. Walkers could follow the sign, but... It was intended for the drivers. Who changed the sign? Parish people go, I mean, it's on our property, but we didn't do it. Basically, this story gets reported in the media, and Jane's like, this doesn't make any sense. I didn't change the sign. I'm in charge of the tea room. Church didn't change the sign. And more importantly, who paid for it? Like, this is not the sign that's been up for three years. 
And so somebody changed the sign. The church goes, yeah, the sign used to be gold lettering. Jane goes, the the sign used to be gold lettering. The arrow pointed it in a different direction. Who changed the sign? And she goes, whoever changed the sign, this was professionally done. This wasn't like just hand-painted on Tom Sawyer. This was a professionally done sign. Who paid for it? It cost a thousand pounds. We know that. Who paid for it? Why haven't I ever gotten a bill? Who changed it? What's going on? Both of these stories, that, that, that's, that story is very reminiscent of a Mandela effect type thing. But it's almost like now you have, you can dig up physical proof and receipts and everyone who's involved in the story agrees this is not the original sign. They just thought the other person had changed it. So it's not like the church is going, oh, no, 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 it was always white lettering. They both agree it used to be gold lettering pointing in a different direction. So somebody changed it, but the only two parties that really matter both thought the other one didn't, they didn't do it themselves. So unless a third party shelled out a thousand bucks to do free advertisement for these people, which is possible, which is more likely than what I'm about to say. But that's very Mandela effect-ish like. With both of these weird events happening so close to each other, geographically and time-wise, is it possible we're looking at some sort of paranormal vortex in the area of Bolton? I mean, it's, 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 technically it's unlikely. But I find it odd. And what's more interesting to me is I always love the idea the world is so big and populated that weird stuff like this can happen all the time and we just don't observe it. We spend so much time looking for Bigfoot or looking for UFOs that things like this kind of go unnoticed. Now, at this point, I would assume they found the owner of the cars. But what if they haven't? What if they just found four abandoned cars and they can't track the registration, they can't track who the drivers are? And then... Ten miles away, you have a sign being replaced. A a sign being replaced in such minute ways that you would think it almost was the decision that the tea room made in an alternate reality. Oh, no, no, let's have it be a footpath sign. Oh, yeah, yeah. So is there a reality where, very close to ours, where there has appeared a gold sign pointing towards the road, and people are like, what? Staring at that sign as well. And are there just four people going, where's my car, man? I was driving my car and then I tumbled out of it. Let's keep an eye on Bolton for a while. Let's keep an eye on this area. I'll see if I can find anything else, but I think something's going on over there. We may be seeing the birth of a reverse Bermuda Triangle where stuff isn't lost, but it's found. It's just found doing the wrong things. World's a weird place, guys. The world is a bizarre place. Speaking of bizarre, I want to do a Dead Rabbit Radio Recommends. Try to get more of these out. This one's actually a real subtle one. Not that I'm going to subtly... (laughs) I'm going to be like... Recommending it. There is a movie called The History of Time Travel. And it's a documentary about time travel. As in, time travel's already been invented, and it's a documentary talking about how time travel has impacted society. So it's a mockumentary about a world where time travel was invented during the 1960s. It's a really interesting movie. A lot of times when I'm watching movies, I'll be playing Minecraft, because I don't have time to do just one thing. 
So I'll have the movie going on. I'll be playing Minecraft. I know a bunch of you cinephiles are <laughs> pulling your hair out right now. I gotta get my diamonds, homie. Gotta get my diamonds. I'm playing Minecraft, watching movies. That's how I listen to podcasts as well. That's how a lot of you guys listen to podcasts. I get a lot of emails saying, I listen while I'm playing video games, which is cool. Ruiner2077 on Twitter listens to Dead Rabbit Radio while he's pushing those weights. Yeah. You can do that too. You don't have to just play video games. But anyways, I play, play Minecraft. And it's a super subtle movie. It's really, really interesting. That's all I'm going to say about it. Check it out. It's called The History of Time Travel. It's a very kind of cool little little movie going on. Let's go ahead and move on to our last story here. Our last story. We are going to go to Puerto Rico. We're going down there. Now, we're going to meet a guy named Amori Rivera. This, have, this segment might run kind of long because it's kind of detailed. I don't want to leave a lot of stuff out, but... Amori Rivera. Hey, what's up, man? So Amori Rivera was a young dude. He was driving home from a concert, a band called El Gran Combo, which suppose, according to him, because he's written up this long document explaining everything that happened. This this is an old story, but it's fairly obscure. You can find the whole manifesto for, for what for lack of a better term that he's written up, but he's on his way home from an El Gran Combo concert. Now, his aunt had given him a camera so he could take photos of all the band members. There's 13, by the way. It's a lot of photos. And this story takes place May 10th, 1988. You're like, that's not a lot of photos. I can fit that many photos on my phone. I can a thousand times that photos. Well, there's a regular camera back then. You had like, what, 24 pictures? He had to take photos of the band. She also gave him an album that she instructed him to get every signature from every band member. So 13 signatures, a bunch of photographs. Now this guy has a bit of social anxiety. So he gets to the concert. There's a ton of people there. He says the most people he's ever seen at that venue. So he throws the album behind the bar. And he plans on telling his aunt that. Oh, I got all the signatures. Oh, it's totally awesome. They were like writing new song lyrics. Oh, dude, you totally would have loved it. But someone stole it. So he kind of admits to even lying. That he's a bit of a liar at the beginning of his story here but that was his plan but anyways maybe for karma for that it's 4 30 a.m he's leave that's a good concert dude when you're driving home at 4 30 a.m signatures or not you've had a good time driving home from this concert at 4 30 a.m he has all these songs stuck in his head but luckily they all sound the same so you know what are you gonna do he's driving home and he sees a dense fog Envelop the car. He's like, "Oh, this isn't good." Actually, he's not that smart. I, 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 Amori, I apologize for that comment, but if you're listening to this episode, I hope that we've made some leaps and bounds in logic. He's driving down the road. He's enveloped in fog. Now the fog starts to break, and he notices he's going like maybe 35 miles an hour, 40 miles an hour, because he's in fog. He's driving down the road. He hears. No, it's not the little drummer boy. He hears someone running right outside his car. Now he turns and he looks and he first thinks it's a little kid. Because three feet tall. It's a little kid wearing a Halloween costume because it has a big old head, right? Big old eyes. This thing's running alongside of him. He thinks it's a kid. Now, choose your adventure time. You're driving down the road. Not really. We're not going to do a full interactive episode. But you're driving down the road. You're being chased or you're being paralleled by this kid, this alien. This gray alien's running alongside your car. 
which I've never known them to run that fast. Maybe he was actually just hanging onto the side of the car, and he had a sound effect machine of, like, feet hitting. Now, you have two choices. You can hit the gas, you can swerve to your left, and try to run the kid over. I'm sorry, run the alien over. You don't want to run kids over. I'll show you, kids. Or you can stop the car, right? Well, obviously you don't want to stop the car because then the alien's going to get you. And you don't know, maybe you could swerve to the left with alien, I don't know. Don't do that either because it might actually be a kid in a Halloween costume. You chose right if you chose A, hit the gas pedal. So Amori hits the gas pedal but he forgets, this is 100% true, he forgets which pedal's the gas pedal, because he's so scared, he hits the brake, his car comes to a complete stop. In the middle of the night, with an alien standing right next to his car. And that's just the beginning of this dude's most ridiculous decisions. So now his car's at a complete stop. There's an alien standing outside his car. He looks down the street, and he sees a bright light. And this is other alien in really, really tight clothes, which seems to be super common because we've had a lot of those lately. Alien in super tight clothes is walking towards his car. And then he looks out the passenger side of this car. There's an alien walking that way, too. This dude's totally boned, right? And now the aliens, we know aliens have all these technology. They can use telepathy to, like, freeze your body. They have ray guns. They have, like, beam weapons that can paralyze you. We've seen this throughout stories we've done. Amori is so scared, he, he blacks out. So they don't even have to use it. You can imagine those aliens being like, oh, I have my first training mission. Can't wait to use my telepathic... Oh, he's asleep already. <laughs> he's all... Ugh. Oh, man, I just invented this new ray gun. They're like, I know, Barry, I know. Sometimes people... The guy did stop his car, right? We're not dealing with a dude with his full deck. Sometimes people just fall asleep. So he wakes up. Now, now, now we get a combination of creepy plus him being a moron. Again, Amori, so I'm sorry. I hope that things are much better for you now. Amori wakes up. I thought this was a creepy visual. It actually plays into the first story. He wakes up. He wakes up. He's still in his car, but his car is in some sort of what he describes as an underground parking garage type space. I don't know if it was actually made of concrete, but that's what it reminded of him. And he saw other empty cars. In this same area. That's creepy, right? I find parking garages by themselves are creepy. Because I've seen so many horror movies where young women are being chased through them. I'm not a young woman, but I can empathize with people. I don't... Every victim in a horror movie doesn't have to be me. I'm like, what? That's lame. I I don't have to watch a movie where it's five Jasons at a sorority house. He wakes up, he's in the parking garage, and he sees a bunch of empty cars. Now, at this point, he's like, "I this totally sucks. I don't know where I'm at. I'm super scared still. If I could pass out, I would. And at that moment, an alien pops up from along the side of his car. Like, he was just chilling there the whole time, I guess. And then reaches into the car. I'm assuming the windows rolled down at this point. Maybe the aliens rolled it down, and then they're like, he's sleeping. They roll it down. They abduct him. He wakes up. And the window's open. He's like, ah, the alien touches his forehead. He passes back out. And he's, Barry's like, yeah, finally got to use my powers. He wakes back up. Now he's out of his car. He's in this rectangular room filled with nothing. He calls it the great infinite space. I would think I was dead at that point. If I woke up in a, a, in a great infinite void, I'd be like, oh, okay, I'm dead. This is it. But... 
He's looking around. He said everything was one color. He said everything had one even lighting. And it just seemed to go on and on forever. Here's a quote. If a person stood in the middle of that place alone, without any point of reference, he would think he was standing in a great empty space. One could not see doors or windows of any kind. He's standing there. He's looking through the infinite void. He's taking this all in. He's already told us that this is a great infinite space. If you looked on in one direction, you'd be completely alone. He turns his head slightly to the left. There's 20 Puerto Ricans sitting on a big giant couch. Dude, why why did you tell us that you were standing in a great infinite void if there's 20 other dudes next to you? So apparently, then he goes on for a paragraph to tell us about a couch. He goes really into detail about this couch, right? This couch is completely blended into the wall, and the way the lighting hit it, made it seem like there was no couch there at all. He could not perceive the couch. Fair enough. You could perceive the 20 other Puerto Ricans sitting on the couch, though, right? Like, I get it, you can't see the armrest, because there's 20 people sitting on it. But don't go on about your great infinite space when there's just a bunch of dudes chilling there. Now, to be fair, in his defense, they weren't making any noise. Which I actually I don't believe is true, because I've never met 20 people of any group to not make any noise. But I guess probably if you're in sheer terror of being abducted by aliens. Can you imagine the first person who showed up there? He's like, ah, I'm in the void. It would have taken him a year to find that couch. Because apparently it is invisible. And then the second person shows up. And they're like, why are you bumbling around? He's like, I don't know where to sit. And they kind of feel around. I feel an armrest. What? Oh, look, at here's a cushion here. And then they sit down. And the third person, oh, no, I'm lost in the void. Let me turn my neck slightly to the left. Hey! Hey, what's up, guys? Hey. And then they probably had a big party, and it was probably when Amori showed up. Everyone's all, oh, great, this nerd. We heard that he doesn't even, he can't even get an album signed. Oh, great. So he gets abducted. Now he's hanging out. Now he's number 21 on this couch, this infinite couch. So they're all sitting in this great empty space that also has a giant couch on it. So they're standing there, and now these two aliens, these two gray aliens walk into the room, and they're just staring at these dudes. So Amori and his buddies. Well, they're not his buddies. They really don't like him. They don't want to talk to him. Everyone is having a great conversation until he showed up. The aliens are just staring at him. And at that point, like some time passes. The aliens are just kind of staring him down. So this guy walks in. This tall white guy, which you think Nordic, right? But he has black hair. So maybe he's going through his emo phase. That's like swept over one eye. It's like the universe does He's cutting himself with fusion torches. Ah, it burns so good. Anyways, he walks in. The two gray aliens are standing there, and they, this Nordic, which they, if you don't know what a Nordic is, it's basically a tall, human-looking alien. They look like people from Norway. So he walks in, he can tell everyone's a little afraid, right? And he's like, hmm, you guys are afraid of these aliens? Let me show you that there's nothing to be afraid of. And then he picks up one of the gray aliens, and the gray, this is so bizarre, the gray alien wraps his legs around the man's waist, and then the man begins manipulating the gray aliens, like he puts his hand under, under his chin and begins moving it back and forth. He's like, see, they're harmless. That was actual quote. See, they're harmless. Like, look at, I can hold this like a child. Now, I would, I, yes, thank you. Thank you, Nordic man. I was terrified of the two gray aliens staring at me. I'm also terrified of one. I'm trapped in an infinite void. I'm on a couch floating through an infinite void. That's scary. Two, I still don't know where I'm at. It doesn't matter if you can move a gray alien's head. Now, 
This dude is now walking around with this gray alien wrapped around him. For, I, I assume, the rest of the story. But this Nordic guy says this. Well, this is what we know. Because, see, Amori says, I can't tell you everything we talked about. I can't tell you everything we talked about. Some of it has to remain private. But there was a catastrophe that was going to come to Earth. And we were chosen to help save the country of Puerto Rico from this disaster. Now, come on, Amori. You can't really hide that type of info. No, 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 no. I can't tell you what it is. I can give you some tidbits. I can give you some clues. One, he says they were showing on this monitor a massive tidal wave hitting San Juan. They saw an earthquake splitting the island in half, causing mass death. So whether that is some sort of just massive natural disaster, you're like, Jason, that's kind of what it sounds like. But could have been, I wonder if asteroid strike is considered a natural disaster because, you know, rocks are natural. But, you know, whether it's some sort of asteroid strike, maybe it's just some sort of basic massive earthquake. But something huge was coming. And it was their job to help prepare Puerto Rico for it. Now, they were each given a particular task by the aliens to do. Now, he doesn't say even what his task was. They, um, Whatever the job they gave him had something to do with plants and animals. Now, that's super vague, right? He won't tell us what it was. He does tell us what another guy's mission was. We have this, um, let me go back to this um, passage he wrote here. The strange man took each of the people there in turn and told them what they would be doing at the time of the cataclysmic event. To a young man in his high teens, sitting there in his undershorts and sandals, obviously taken while relieving himself in his backyard. So this dude was pissing in his backyard at 4.30 in the morning. Hey buddies, I'll be right in, I gotta take a leak. Alien shows up. He's peeing, there's an alien standing right next to him being like, "Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh. This dude gets abducted at 4.30 in the morning while he's taking a piss. He's a teenager. He gets put on this alien ship. He's in an infinite void. Turns around, there's a couch. Hey guys, what's up? And then he's told by an alien that, quote, he would have to provide drinking water for 50,000 people. Now, you could show, an alien could abduct me and show me, hey, Oregon's going to get hit by this earthquake, and you're going to have to, like, do coordination stuff, (laughs) or you're going to have to, like, cut wood, or you're going to have to just leave. Just leave, Jason. We'll let other people take care of it. Trained emergency personnel. There's a lot of different things that I could probably do. I could definitely leave. Amori doesn't reveal what his task was. Could you imagine being 17 years old, pissing in the backyard, getting abducted by aliens, and then being told that pretty soon you would have to provide drinking water for 50,000 people. Like, how would you even even calculate that? You're like, uh, 50,000 people in one day? Like, how? that would blow my mind. I'd be like, dude, I just, come on, man. Can I get the, can I get that, can I get Amori's job? And they're like, no, no, Amori, he's, he's not all there. We accidentally abducted him. It was an accident. We were trying to get some physicists. We don't know what's going to happen with the nuclear reactors, but we're stuck with this guy. So we just told him to take care of the bunnies. And then he'll do that. He has to feed five bunnies. And come on, man. Can I get that job? No. You will learn to, you will learn to desalinate and purify water for 50,000 people a day, a day, a day. Start learning now.
Now, Amori says, this is interesting, he goes, because the age range of people on the couch were high teens, there's some older people, and so he figured that this event was going to happen within the next 20 years, because they were told this event was going to happen in their lifetime. So he figured it, it actually should happen by now, but so you're like, Jason, why are you wasting my time with a story about a disaster that hasn't happened? Whoa, hold on, hold on. You watch your mouth or I'm going to make you get water for 50,000 people. He goes, I figured it would happen within our lifetime. And considering how old the oldest person was, I'm thinking it should happen within 20 years. So oldest person probably in their 60s. So next thing Amori knows, he wakes up in his car. (sighs) What a dream I had, but didn't have because it was totally real. And he's in an unknown location. He's not where he thought he was. Now, you may think he got roofied. He got roofied at the salsa party and he tried driving home and he passed out somewhere. That's possible. It's possible. There's a kid with a Halloween costume caught underneath his wheels. But he wakes up in an unknown location. He has no idea where he's at, but he's back in his car and he says that he just began crying. He began sobbing. He says he cried like he would cry when his mother would die. She hasn't died. But if she dies eventually, this is how hard I'm going to cry. That's what he says in his statement. He's crying. And then... <laughs> that's not him extra crying. He looks up. He sees fighter jets in the air. <gasps> and then he sees a silvery disc. <laughs> fighter jets are circling this UFO. And he goes... Wait a second. I have a camera in my car. So the camera that his aunt gave him to take pictures of this salsa band, he jumps out of his car with his camera, and he points it at the sky, and he takes a photo. Every time he takes a photo, he hears a beep, beep, beep. Pressing that button, he hears a little electronic beep. But the thing is, this camera has no beep built into it. It just should go the click. Click, but he's hearing a beep every time he takes the photo. Eventually, there's a bright light. <laughs> UFO is gone. And the jets fly away. Now, these photos are available online. I recommend you taking a look at these photos. Now, because I look at the photos, and I have a hard time determining whether or not they're fake. Which, probably, they look, they look, they look pretty fake, to be honest. But here's the thing. I don't know what a fighter jet... The, the the reason why they look fake to me is that the jet is completely in shadow, but the UFO, you can see some... I don't know. I don't know anything really about photos, but you can see UFOs like lit better. However, who's to say that a UFO would would follow any sort of... Well, I guess someone who knows photography. But, you know, like maybe light hits UFOs differently because they're from some... Okay, so anyways, photo. The photos are probably fake, but they're interesting nonetheless. I wish I could use them as the artwork for this episode, but I've had stuff taken down because of copyright things using photos like that. So I, I got to be careful about that, but I recommend checking them out online. But basically, it's an intriguing photo, to say the least. Now, the way that this story all comes about is that Amore drives home and he goes, just goes to sleep. Like, what What would you do after this? He's like, oh, I got to find five bunnies and feed them. Ooh, but first, and he goes home and he sleeps. Now, he tosses the camera to his aunt. And I'm sure his aunt was like, hey, where's the album? And he's like, dude, I'm not even going to talk to you about this stupid album right now. I got to go to sleep. We'll talk. I'll lie to you about the album later. 
Because he did. He said in the confession the first time his aunt will ever figure out what really happened to that album was when she reads this confession that he was writing. Not really confession, but this story he was writing out for UFO researcher. I don't think she's reading UFO Digest. She's probably still wondering where her album went. But anyways, he gives her the camera. Now, she doesn't really think anything of it, but she's super excited. Yes, El Grand Combo. I'm going to go get these photos developed. She goes and gets the photos developed, and... And there's like some photos of the concert, a couple photos of the band, and then the last four photographs are fighter jets attacking a UFO. So she goes home and she wakes up Amori. She's like, what, 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 what is this, dude? And he's like, what, what, uh. And then he says, when he sees the UFO, when he sees the photo, he immediately then remembers everything on all that happened on the ship, so... Sorry, I forgot that part. He wakes up in the car on Earth. He doesn't remember anything. He sees the UFO. He takes the photos. He goes home. And then his aunt shows him the photo. And he goes, the great infinite space with 20 Puerto Ricans. And then the story floods back to him. And then he goes back to sleep. The end. The story ends. The story ends with him going, oh, no, I've envisioned this horrible catastrophe in Puerto Rico and my journey in it. And then he goes back to sleep. And we end with this final statement of this UFO manifesto thing. I don't know. What's the term for it? Amori fainted again and slept all day long. This is like a Berenstein Bear book. Amori fainted again and slept all day long. He was just not ready to cope with the facts of the spectacular event that was so frightening to him the night before. And then Sister Bear said goodnight as well. So that's the story of Amori Rivera. I find that story fascinating because, one, we have a photograph. It may be fake, but it's it's still a photograph. Two, it plays into a... Personally, I think this guy's too stupid to make this story up. It plays into a lot of tropes of the aliens trying to save the world thing. A lot of times it's some sort of environmental thing, but these aliens are like, Puerto Rico is doomed unless you do something. That poor teenager. And the thing is, is like you imagined, the disaster never happened. There was no massive earthquake that split the island in half. But that teenager probably to this day is <laughs> sitting on a bunch of water. I'm going to look up see who famous Puerto Rican water people are. Not like they're actual like swamp people. Let's see if there's a Puerto Rican who owns a giant water company. Hold on. Nah, I couldn't find any. I was hoping to find something like, in 1988, a teenager decided to... Uh, Drop out of high school. Wait, no, you don't want to do that. In 1988, you want to stay in school, kids. In 1988, a, a dropout went back to high school, stopped pissing in people's lawns at 4.30 in the morning, and built one of the biggest aquifers in the state of Puerto Rico. Except they're not a state yet. They're, they're, they're in their own country. But you know what we mean. And now, this man is able to give 50,000 people water at a moment's notice. So hats off to you local businesses in Puerto Rico. I was hoping to. Instead, I found out that 60% of Puerto Rico's water supply is lost due to theft and leaks. So they definitely have a problem over there. So if you exist, if this story is real, if you exist, teenager man, but no longer a teenager, fix that, dude. (laughs) Don't worry about the 50,000 people. Just fix those leaks. And theft? Who's stealing water? What 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 Mad Max world do you live in where people are like, I'm not paying for this? <laughs> You're drilling holes in the pipes before they get to the houses. Mmm, sweet, sweet water. But that is the story of Amori Rivera. True or false? 
It's very, very entertaining. I personally think the answer is somewhere in the middle. This guy may have been abducted because he just sounds too dumb to make this story up. And the, the photograph is a double-edged sword because it's either a real photograph. And if so, that's amazing evidence that just it's a pretty obscure story. But if it's a fake photograph that he faked to back up a possibly real story, then you've just muddied the waters. But if the story's true, it's nice to think that maybe not all aliens are jerks who abduct people at night and, like, poke them and suck all the blood out of cows and do all sorts of stuff. Maybe they do want to help us. Maybe they do want to prepare the Earth for upcoming calamities, which is fine with me as long as I'm not one of the guys that has to do anything to prepare for the end of the world. I would much rather sit here contently while some teenager brings me water every day. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. Twitter is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.